If this is your first time listening to the podcast, you probably don't know that a question that we ask every time in the lightning round is, if you had $100 to move to a new city and you had to get back on your feet, how would you do it? And today, uh, Raul Moas from the Knight Foundation was gracious enough to answer that question for us through the lens of um, teaching you about ecosystems. Um, we, we specifically had a deep dive about how to make sure your city is prepared for the future of work. And we focused on Miami because Raul, Alberto, Ibarguen, uh, Knight Foundation and Emerge Americas were gracious enough to fly us out to Miami to talk about this subject. If you are a job seeker, someone that's in that position that's about to move to a city with no money, or if you just learned a skill and you're trying to get a job, it's very important to understand how that city is laid out, who the main players are, what the companies are in there, so that you know how to move strategically. Company selection is extremely, extremely important. And um, as you listen to the episode, make sure you pay attention to how to think about these things. Uh, we're also going to go deep on how Raul is working with celebrities like Pitbull to make sure that people outside of tech and worldwide are aware of the jobs that are being created and destroyed by technology. And also we go deep into the partnerships with government and nonprofit and, and highlight people like Mike Sorosti and the Department of Transportation that are aware that one of the largest jobs in America, which is trucking, is going to be significantly affected by driverless cars and how they are being proactive about addressing not just those jobs that are going to be affected by automation, but all kinds of other things. You're going to hear about um, coffee shops. You're going to hear about cafes and meetups and other people to be aware of um, in the game. And, and I also want you to focus on when they start talking about smart money, like the Miami Angels, because when you're choosing a company that you want to work for, their portfolio companies uh, for the venture capitalists are going to have companies that you may be interested in. So pay attention to that. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about the podcast, make sure you listen to other episodes and recognize that um, you know we, we do this so we can point you to the teaching programs for the jobs that you want. And even if you are in tech, we want to make sure that you can thrive in a tech-driven environment. If you have any questions, if you want to learn how to code, just send me an email, ruben at breakingstars.com, or you could email Archer and Timor or Patrick at breakingintostartups.com. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table, getting the end. Next. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yes. Yeah, so tonight we're recording this episode out of Miami. We've done episodes in person in the Bay Area. We've done remote episodes using Zoom online, but this is the first episode where we actually flew out to Miami to go to the Emerge Americas conference. And our guest today was interviewing us on stage earlier. So we thought we'd just flip the tables and ask him some tough questions. So without further ado, Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yes, yes. It's payback time. <laughs> we appreciate you for, for taking the time to invite us to Emerge Americas. 
And before talking about that, I want you all who are listening to understand who Raul Moas is. Like us, he also spent some time in finance. He's a CPA by trade. He was also the managing director for Miami Angels, which I believe is like one of the largest venture firms out here. He's also was the executive director for Roots of Hope. He is the current Miami program director for the Knight Foundation. And he's also a global shaper uh, with the World Economic Forum, among other things. And we're really excited to be interviewing him. So before going into all of that, let's say welcome, Raul. It's good to be with you guys. It's good to yeah, be with welcome. you too. So can you kind of tell us a little bit more about your role as the Miami Program Director for Knight Foundation? Yeah. So Knight Foundation is a national foundation with very strong local roots. We work in the cities where the Knight Brothers had newspapers back in the day. And so we're in 26 communities throughout the country. In eight of those cities, we have a full-time team on the ground. And that's my team here in, in Miami. Our program in Miami is centered on entrepreneurship. So we want to help engender a really strong and virtuous kind of cycle around venture growth. Miami is known as a city that moves people and goods incredibly well, right? So we know how to welcome tourists. And we know how to get cargo in and out of the city like nobody's business. <laughs> but it's not necessarily known as a town that builds ideas, uh-huh. right? And so we're trying to, to recast that. We want this to be a city where the creative class, the entrepreneurs, the innovators, the designers, not only feel at home, but are building world-class solutions for some of the biggest challenges that we have. Mm-hmm. And so we believe that Miami is somewhat of crystal ball, let's call it, into yeah. what the t- 21st century American city might look like. Yeah. And the challenges that we're facing here today are going to be faced in other American cities in, in the coming decades. Yeah. And so this is somewhat of a lab, and we want to make sure that we're attracting and retaining the best talent out there to address those problems today. Yeah, yeah. And in our stage, we talked a little bit about, you know, these challenges and what cities will look like in the future related to the future of work. Can you talk about some specific core competency that, that Miami has from an education perspective, um, a little bit about the population and how things may or may not play out in the future for Miami from a labor perspective. Sure. So Miami is at the, this, this kind of meeting place where North and South America collide. So it's fully North American and American. It's fully South American and Latin. Uh-huh. Um, it's a paradox in many ways. You're Cuban, right? My parents were born in Cuba, came over as young kids. Okay. So I'm at that intersection, uh-huh. right? Where that hyphen, I live on the hyphen. Okay. And so I'm Cuban American, whatever that might mean for different people. Yeah. And so I have the best of, of both worlds. And so many people in Miami have a similar kind of story. So about just more than over half of Miami was not born here. Mm-hmm. That could have been an international immigrant or somebody from the States that moved down. Yeah. And an even greater percentage are folks that are then like first generation Americans, the sons and daughters of those migrants. Yeah. And so Miami is, because of its demographics, it's an incredibly welcoming place. Yep. Anyone can land in Miami and start building something that same day without any sort of kind of barriers to entry or anyone saying, you haven't paid your dues. Mm-hmm. Quite the contrary. Because so many of us are immigrants or have immigrant stories kind of in our families, mm-hmm. we welcome kind of folks. Yep. On top of that, we're known as a tourism destination. Like we have, yeah. to, it's our job to welcome folks to our city, right? Yeah. So Miami is incredibly diverse in that respect mm-hmm. and, and welcoming. Miami has about 180,000 students in the university systems here at any given point. Yep. So really three major university systems down here. But at the same time, we have a huge percentage of our population that works in the services industries. Yep. And so a big percentage works in the tourism sector, a big percentage works in the trade and logistics sector. And the concern is that those sectors in particular are susceptible to disruption, let's call it, or just elimination, really, mm-hmm. as we see automation take kind of stronger hold. Even kind of my world, like I'm a CPA technically, but I'd be hard-pressed to find kind of something that I can do that QuickBooks can't do yeah. today, right? Yeah. And as AI gets a little bit better at, at what it does, I think that intersection between law accounting, finance, tax, 
in particular are going to get increasingly blurred and, and consolidated. Yeah. So even the services industries that Miami is known for, the banking yeah. that we have down here, that's also at risk of disruption. So we're trying to think through, all right, what does it look like to be in Miami today? And how do you gain the skills to have a role that's meaningful and provides for your family in 10, 15, 20 years? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I know we're still talking about the education system again, but can you give us some stats on like like FIU and all these, like Miami-Dade and like how many people they're graduating and different things? Sure. And like stuff so the like biggest that. university systems in Miami-Dade County proper are University of Miami, Florida International University, and Miami-Dade College. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami-Dade College graduates more Hispanic students than mm-hmm. any other institution in the United States. Wow. It is the U.S.'s largest community college wow. based right here. FIU is a massive public research university. Yeah has about 60,000 students enrolled at any given point. Yep. And the University of Miami is a, is a private research institution here in South Florida, known mostly as the U and, and for its football, but also a powerhouse when it comes in, in, in terms of healthcare specifically, yeah. doing some really cool stuff. And so combined, there's a heavy weight that they carry, right? Yeah. They punch above the weight class uh, in many regards. So it's really interesting for us in, in thinking of how do you activate that and how do you, how do you mold that to make sure that the students that are graduating from those institutions have the skills to succeed, not just in 2018, yeah. right? With that four-year degree and, and whatever it may be, but 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, when they're still very much in their career, it's not yeah. like they're going to retire. Yeah. They're still in their career, but I think the workforce is going to look so different at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a lot of what you brought up about kind of thinking ahead and looking at where you are now, but not being just satisfied and like what, what you have now, but instead building and preparing for the future on behalf of Knight Foundation, where do you guys see your role being in this Miami ecosystem? And where do you want to guide Miami to be in the next five to 10 years? Sure. So the reason that we focus on entrepreneurship, which is a fairly peculiar space for a foundation to be in, right? Aside from Kaufman in Kansas City, we're not too familiar with so many other foundations that are in this world. And so it is somewhat of an, of an odd situation to be in or unusual, let's call it. But the reason we ended up focusing on this one is because we had call it a challenge in keeping our 20-something, 30-something-year-old residents. A lot of folks in that age group said, you know what? I can't be a high-growth entrepreneur. I can't grow a high-impact venture in South Florida. I have to go New York, London, the Valley, what have you. And so we were specifically losing talent that we kind of call as creative class, designers, innovators, makers, doers, entrepreneurs to other markets because they didn't feel they had an actual home in South Florida. And so our strategy is very much around attracting and retaining talent, around creating opportunity for the entire community. This isn't about helping one subset get richer or or more successful. And then output of that, hopefully the work product in the next 10, 15 years is that Miami's best and brightest are also building solutions for some of our biggest challenges. I'll tell you, when we think of kind of sea level rise, we're at the front line of that, right? Folks sometimes refer to Miami as ground zero for that. And it's not something that's going to happen in 70 years or 100 years that all of a sudden the bay floods kind of the South Beach area or, or the parks in downtown. It's going to be incremental. The disruptions are going to be little by little. So you're going to see kind of our freshwater supply, our aquifer get compromised as saltwater intrudes. You're going to start to see disruptions of, of a greater magnitude. And so we're very much betting that some of Miami's toughest problems in, in this century are going to be fixed because we attracted and retained Miami's best and brightest. And we created a culture that built ideas for world-class or kind of world-class ideas for the world's toughest problems. Yeah. You know, attracting and retaining talent is something that's very near to and dear to our hearts on the Breaking Stars podcast. And you talked a little bit more about activation of this talent and, and enlightening them to the opportunities that are here. Before going into that, you spent time in venture. Can you talk a little bit about the venture landscape, how it plays into the 
the activation of the um, the talent that's here, and maybe like talk, and we talked about the founder of Second Life and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so venture in Miami, kind of two terms that don't go hand in hand usually. It's vent, it's like kind of Miami and South Beach and Miami and tourism, and Miami <laughs> and like Latin food. But venture in Miami, it's we actually have more bank deposits per capita in South Florida in Miami property than we do in Manhattan. Oh, wow. a lot of Latin America banks, it's private wealth out of South Florida. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's invested here, but it's banked out of here at least. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing kind of this trend line where a lot of folks from other markets, New York and California specifically, are either fed up with the snow or generally frustrated with maybe the, the business climate there and are choosing to move to Miami. And so we've seen in the last 10 years, call it really five years, an influx of really seasoned venture capitalists set up shop in Miami, live here. That's interesting for us. That's then also kind of in conjunction with what we've been doing around activating capital with folks that have been here forever. Now we're seeing this kind of nascent but growing cohort of, of really meaningful, sophisticated investors take hold. And then we think that's important. We think it's important that we have homegrown capital supporting homegrown ventures. Mm-hmm. So Miami Angels is a local angel group, about 100 and something investors that are putting seed stage capital behind tech and tech-enabled companies from Florida. Yep. So that 500 one, startups is here. 500 just landed here. Knight Foundation was, was key in bringing them down. The Venture City is down here. They have a, a significant fund as well. Las Olas VC, Exotic VC, Ocean Azul, like all these funds have started to pop up here and they're investing somewhat here and some of them are investing partly here and partly abroad. That's all good, right? Yeah. We wanna, what we want to see is that, that kind of asset class become a lot more familiar to investors in South Florida. Yeah. Historically, the driving investments in Miami have been real estate. Yeah. Kind of like real estate with a little bit of real estate sprinkled on top. Yeah. And now we're starting to see some diversity and people become more familiar with venture, with early stage investing. That's interesting to us, man. Again, yeah. this takes time. Right? Yeah. Building community, building ecosystem takes time. And we're really encouraged by what we've seen in, in the last five years. Yeah. yeah. And just visiting here, you see so much opulence. You see nice cars. You see beautiful hotels, buildings, real estate, like you mentioned. And so I could totally see a lot of demand for if there were companies that were like new ideas that were solving the biggest challenges of 21st century, I could totally see that there would be more than enough investors willing to invest. I think it's, you're kind of partially right that you need to create the ecosystem, seed it, make sure that talent is there, that it's being retained. I think the retention is actually one of the biggest things because when you have so much talent, the students from Miami, day from University of Miami, if they're leaving Miami, that's a problem, right? Yeah. So seeding that with the right companies and talent is going to be key. Yeah, and who wouldn't want to like, you know, like as far as retaining talent, who wouldn't want to live around beaches and it's a fun city <laughs> to be in and things like that. And we talked a little bit about traditional education but can you talk about some of the vocational education here? I know there's Iron Hat, there's WinCode, there's things like that. And we talk a lot about boot camps here and we're going to you know, meet them and interview them later. But it'd be great to hear your perspective on vocational training and how people that are here locally can take advantage of getting these tech skills. Like always hired is here too. Yeah. Um, so. Just opened up here. Yeah. yeah, I think so. all those programs open up avenues for opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Which is incredible if you think about it, that mm-hmm. in 12 weeks, you can gain a skill set that fundamentally changes your trajectory, your earning potential, your current earnings. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really powerful, right? Yeah. So, so we're big fans of, of what WingCode and Ironhack and, and a lot of the folks who are doing. LaunchCode is here. Girls Who Code is here. Mm-hmm. Always Hired just opened up here. Independent of, of, of anyone's effort, right? They said that's a market we have to be in. Yep. So that's what we're seeing here, right? We're seeing the ecosystem take shape. We're starting to see some of these players come down and, and do some interesting stuff or set up shop even here. And yeah, man, they, they start producing good talent, right? It's yeah. good talent that then gets brought into some of these local ventures, that's encouraging for us, right? Yeah. So, so I think for, for some folks, a four-year degree is not the avenue to go. For some mm-hmm. folks, it is. Yeah. Right? 
Um, it depends on what you think your your, your career path is going to look like. But man, to say that in 12 weeks, I can gain a meaningful skill that's really going to change the way that I provide for my family yeah. and gives me a, a skill set that is going to be highly relevant for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. That's a powerful thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think Miami, like you mentioned that uh, like over 50% of people here are either immigrants or children of immigrants. And I think one common denominator with a lot of immigrants is that when they come to the United States, they usually don't speak the language. So they have to learn from scratch. And then a lot of the times their skills are not transferable from what they did back in their country. So a lot of the time they have to acquire new skills. And I think by having so many successful immigrants in Miami, it kind of demonstrates that people are already reskilling themselves on their own, basically on their own initiatives and able to provide a future for their families. Yeah. But imagine what you could do if you're able to provide them with like great educational resources. And instead of them uh, reskilling themselves to become a hairdresser or reskilling them to become a mechanic, now they're reskilling to become a software engineer or UX designer. Totally. And you're not just changing their lives and their family lives, you're changing the landscape in Miami because now Miami is going to be known as the tech mecca for that specific industry. Yeah. We think there's some really natural opportunities there, logistics, yeah. healthcare in specific, that Miami already has a really vibrant kind of mm -hmm. sector in. But you're totally right, man. Like, there's no amount of VC money, there's no amount of grant making that anybody can do get that kind of immigrant can do boldness mm -hmm. in an ecosystem, right? Yeah, and yeah. so Miami has that in its DNA. Yeah. The truth is that Miami is very much a town of, of necessity-driven entrepreneurship. Yeah. Folks land here, and because they came to make a better life for themselves, mm -hmm. they launch a business. Yeah. Where we are increasingly shifting direction to is moving from necessity-driven entrepreneurship to yeah. opportunity-driven entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And that's where Knight Foundation is, is, is directing its efforts, right? Mm -hmm. But you're totally right. And like, I see it, man. I see it. as so my, my grandparents came over from Cuba in the 1950s, 60s. Yeah. My parents were young kids. There's this certain hunger and this certain kind of appreciation for what we have here mm -hmm. because they know what it's like not to have that. Yeah. And so when you're growing up in a household that's constantly reminding you, yeah. hey, your work pays off. There's opportunity here. If someone tries to stereotype you as Hispanic, whatever it is, whatever it's like, they're not worth your time. Find the workaround, right? A ton of that that happens here in South Florida and I would even venture to say like Miami was somewhat of a sleepy town before we started seeing so, like significant immigrant mm -hmm. waves. And so what does that do for a culture, specifically in the ecosystem of a venture? And I think that it only kind of means that folks are bold, yeah. that folks are driven, that folks are hungry. And so Miami is a young city. Miami is 120 years old. Yeah. Compare that to New York. It's been around for like literally 700 years, 600 years. It's an interesting kind of, of situation to be in. And in that we don't, we haven't yet kind of, we're just hitting our stride. We're just hitting our adolescence, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So you're coupling this immigrant spirit with a really young city that's just figuring out kind of who it is and what it wants to be. All that is producing, a, it kind of collides and produces a really interesting mix of folks that are building awesome ventures. Yeah. Something else that Knight Foundation is doing, I believe that's really intelligent in addition to newspapers and storytelling is leveraging the power of influencers. Not just Knight Foundation, Merge Americas where you're an advisor. You all have like influencers like, people and things like that that are like not necessarily in tech but can lead people outside of tech to talk about the important conversation and understand what they needed to do into this so like why did you all start doing that i mean can you talk about like some results from that that you've seen so yeah, so, far? so pitbull mr 305 mr worldwide right yeah <laughs> when folks like first thought of him as like an ambassador for what's happening here they're kind of like oh my god these people in miami can't let go of pitbull mm -hmm. truth is actually armando is is one of like the most brilliant entrepreneurs that anyone has ever met oh well, yeah the guy has a huge kind of several business empire kind of situation going on uh -huh. really smart guy and he's actually really passionate to go back into kind of this immigrant kind of spirit is that he's really passionate 
about giving people opportunities for success. Yeah. And he sees entrepreneurship as a way of doing that. Yeah. And so when when he kind of aligned with what Manny and Melissa and, and, and Javi were doing here at Emerge um, around getting this conference and this kind of summit here in, in South Florida, he signed on. Not because tech was sexy, not because he is like a tech guru, but because he really believes that this is an avenue to get people into a really meaningful life and a really yeah. meaningful career path. So again, there's this humanity behind it. That immigrant story that says, I'm looking for something bigger and bolder and better. Yeah. And I think sometimes we lose that in, in the tech space. Yeah. If it's not about, if you haven't scaled at month two, <laughs> And if you haven't raised certain dollars and your KPIs on certain things, like it's almost not worthy. But the truth is that there's real people behind these companies. Yeah. There's a human element behind it. And in Miami, what you see again is that is that boldness, that spirit, that human spirit driving forward. Really cool companies at the end of yeah. the day. So let's say I live in Miami. Like we like to focus on tactical advice. Like, can you talk about the startups here that I would want to consider to work for or talk about the exits that are the most successful exits that we've seen here? Or just it doesn't have to be a startup. Uh, any type of company that has tech jobs for me if I want to stay living here in Miami? Can you talk about like the main players in the game? For sure. So we can kind of run the gamut, right? There's a company called Ultimate Software. It's a really big producer of some good products. They hire a ton of people locally. Um, so if you're looking to go that direction, kind of a safer path, then that's a great way to go. Obviously, kind of a magic leap is just right up the street in Broward. They're hiring oh, tremendously, yeah. a lot of attention around what they're doing what they've announced and haven't announced. Yep. And then kind of just more homegrown folks in Miami proper, a company called Nearpod. It's an ed tech platform. Okay. They've raised some really great uh, VC dollars. They're used country over. So one in seven students in the United States oh, uses wow. Nearpod in their classroom. Interesting. Folks wouldn't think of that as kind of something having come from Miami. Um, so there's everything from kind of that startup that is, is on employee number four. Mm-hmm. It's that company that's on employee 400. Yep. It's that company that's on employee 4,000. Yeah. And so whatever your preferences, whatever your risk tolerance is, whatever role you want to have in, in, in a company, you can find it here. Right? Yeah. The truth is that we're always looking, companies are always looking for exceptional talent. Yeah. And so if you're a UX UI guy or a person, if you're in, on the engineering side of things, if you're the architect, like everyone's always looking for phenomenal talent. Yeah. That's not a problem. Getting a job in tech here is not the challenge. Yeah. Yeah, and so like that's super, super helpful around like the key companies and things to think about. Before, you know, Archer Timor and I moved to San Francisco, we needed to study the major players because relationships are very important. And obviously knowing Raul Moas is clearly going to get you connected in, in Miami. But who are some of the other major players that people should know about? Faces, names, what they're doing, ecosystems. I yeah, so I, like- I hate to kind of have the attention just on me or night because the truth is that We've been really privileged to work with amazing people yeah. getting this ecosystem off the ground. Yeah. Manny Medina, founder of Terramark, which is sold to Verizon and now Sixtera, has been a pillar down yep. here. He's also the founder of Emerge Americas, where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. He's been key in getting this going. Mm-hmm. Folks like Endeavor mm-hmm. that are down here, Laura and her team have an exceptional kind of operation uh, going, identifying high impact entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. The folks at Miami Angels are exceptional. And they're doing some really cool stuff around making sure that, that if you're an early stage venture in Miami, you have access to world-class capital, mm-hmm. right? That just because you're in Miami, you don't have to like take kind of not good money, right? Yeah. It's going to be good money. And so all those folks are, are doing great stuff. I point you in the direction of Trillion Ventures, Melissa yep. Krinsman. She's mm-hmm. doing some crazy, amazing stuff. Mark Kingdon at Quixotic Ventures. Yep. Mentioned before, he's the founder of Second Life, has multiple success stories in his portfolio. Mm-hmm. He's based out of Miami as well. 500 Startups is here now. They're doing some good work. I mean, I can keep going and going and going and going. And I think that's what folks don't always appreciate about South Florida and, and Miami specifically. It's that we have amazing beaches and some amazing nightlife. Yeah. You can have a really good time here tonight, by the way. Um, <laughs> but the truth is that there's this other facet to Miami that is building and scaling ideas. Yeah. 
And if you're interested in connecting with them, highly encourage you guys to reach out to some of those names. Yeah. Hit up the new tropic. That's a local publication that outlines a lot of the stuff. There's really good people down here. Yeah. Super helpful. Super Yeah. Helpful. And let's say if uh, you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking of starting a company or you might be working on a prototype right now, what is your advice for them in order to get plugged in into the ecosystem? So they're not just working by themselves in isolation, but they're actually kind of reaping the benefits of all the hard work that you guys are putting in to provide that ecosystem for these entrepreneurs. For sure. So we've invested heavily in the last five years around the places and convenings that bring that creative class together, right? What we noticed was that because Miami is a very kind of broad geography, it's flat. So we just kind of kept building and building and building until recently someone told us not to build anymore, that it's very easy to kind of get dispersed. And so what we've invested in is, is kind of a, a density. We want to build density around a certain area that brings people together. Like that, the meaningful collisions are important. Yep. And so we've invested in a lot of the places and convenings that bring that kind of spirit together. So I'd encourage them to check out Lab Miami. Um, it's a preeminent kind of co-working space, but also venture builder down here in South Florida. They're in the heart of Wynwood, which is a really cool area of, of town. Arts kind of bo- uh, Soho district. Really cool folks I'm at Lab Miami. I'd encourage them to check out kind of Venture Cafe mm-hmm. on Thursday. So same Venture Cafe as in, in Boston, St. Louis. They bring together 400, 500 people a night in, uh, on Thursdays here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the free beer doesn't hurt. Um, <laughs> but it's like folks that you normally wouldn't have expected at the table, right? So when we think of, of Miami, Miami, a lot of folks kind of say, oh my God, Miami's so diverse. Mm-hmm. And by that, they usually mean Miami's so Hispanic. <laughs> and, and that's all fine and dandy. But the truth is that with very little effort, you can get a quote unquote diverse by an American context group going here. Yep. And that's not always representative of the community at large. Yep. Right. And so Miami has, since like one of Miami's first residents, so folks don't know, it's like half the folks that voted to incorporate Miami mm-hmm. were African-American. Interesting. Immediately thereafter, they were segregated into Overtown on the outskirts of like Miami proper, if you would. But no one ever tells that story. Right. Yeah. And so Miami has a rich history in that kind of pocket. Miami has a really deep Bahamian community that settled in Coconut Grove. No one ever tells that story, right? And so if you're not intentionally asking the question, who's at the table, mm-hmm. it's very easy in Miami to kind of have this false complacency of like, oh, we're diverse mm-hmm. because we've hit these quote unquote minorities in, in the American context, but they're not representative of Miami truly. Yeah. And so when we think of, of what we're doing down here through night in, in gendering this ecosystem, we're always asking who is at the table yeah. and does it look like Miami? Yeah. If it doesn't look like Miami, then we consider that I'd say a disappointment in, in the least or, or a failure at the worst. Yeah. We want to make sure that what we're doing isn't just for a certain cohort of people, that it's not just the, the folks that went to, were fortunate enough to go to private school and get really great fancy degrees and yeah. then come back and reap these benefits. This has to be something that benefits folks at large. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about the um, Bahamian community, Venezuelan community, Haitian community, all these different people in, in Miami. You also mentioned meaningful collisions and I've seen you also collaborate pretty heavily with government. So can you talk a little bit about your partnerships with government locally and maybe nationally and why that's important? Yeah, so we think we have a unique opportunity in, in Miami now that we were about five years into this, uh, this, this program to help other folks discover what we've discovered, yep. government being one of those, those players. I'll tell you that the city of Miami, the Miami-Dade County, which is the, the metro area that we're in, have some really great folks internally that are pushing this forward. Who are some of those people? You got to connect with Mike Sarosti. He's okay. the chief innovation officer at the city of Miami. Yep. Uh, Mike is, is amazing and brilliant. Carlos Cruz Casa at, at the Department of Transportation from Miami, Dade County, is doing some really good stuff as well. I'll tell you, man, it's very, very easy in South Florida to fall into the trap of being cynical around local government for many reasons. But the truth is that there's some really young, awesome people internally yep. that are pushing forward a much more open 
conversation with residents. The yeah. idea that government should design for residents probably wasn't there 10 years ago, we'll admit, but it's, so, it's totally there now, yeah. right? So everything that they're doing, they're thinking, how does this benefit the resident? How does this benefit the average Miamian? And that's really, really important, right? Because it goes to building a place where people want to live. And so if everything that we're doing at Knight Foundation about attracting and retaining talent doesn't stick because folks don't want to live here, because yeah. the city or the county of Miami are not places people want to be in, it's all for naught, yep. right? And so we want to make sure that what's happening in town is much more than just our grant making. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why we're successful in the cities that we're in, yeah. because we tap into organic strengths and organic trends. When we decided to enter the space five years ago, it wasn't because someone said, oh my God, like this is the next big thing. Yeah. We actually, our program director at the time, Matt Hagman, spent six months in the field, literally just asking people, what's happening here that people might not be aware of or talking as much of as we think they yeah. should be? And what came back was a resounding kind of yes around entrepreneurship. Yeah. And so what Mike is doing at State of Miami, what Carlos is doing in, in Miami-Dade County is all a reflection of what's happening kind of in the private space as well around young kind of hungry, forward-looking leaders that are redefining what it means to be innovative, what it means to be an entrepreneur in South Florida. Yeah. I know we talked a little bit about the things that are happening already, but you brought up Mac Hagman that made me think about Felicia Hatcher, Code Fever, Black Tech Week. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, 100%. So again, this idea of does our community and our ecosystem represent the broader community? And I'll tell you, as we kind of started building this out, that wasn't always the case. And so Felicia and has Code Fever, she launches Black Tech Week. Felicia, first of all, just like call it what it is. She's a force of nature. Yeah. I don't think she's human. Yeah. Um, 99% <laughs> she's not human, but she's yeah. amazing. And so she goes on this, this really kind of powerful crusade to make sure that not only Miami, but now the nation over, because Black Tech Week is now in, in a bunch of different cities, which is awesome, that folks that historically have been marginalized in Miami had to see the table. And so she was asking the same question, who is at the table, right? And what we said is like, you're right. The table doesn't always look like our community at large. We need to make kind of on-ramps for certain communities that have historically been pushed to the side to come into this ecosystem. And so what does that mean? That means that sometimes we invest in programming just for communities that have historically been, been left out. Sometimes we go further and say, all right, like for every reason, right, the way the market shook out, we don't have enough representation from this geographic segmentation as part of Miami. Again, Miami is really kind of dispersed. So if there's not enough folks from kind of south, southern Miami-Dade County, you're kind of just getting the urbanites, if you would. Yeah. Um, all right, so like, let's make sure the folks that are out west are part of the conversation. So Felicia pushed us to think about that in, in, in some really meaningful ways. And now she's having success kind of, again, the nation over, which is really, really cool to yeah. see. Because it, it goes to this point, again, that Miami is a place where ideas can grow and scale yep. and are relevant in other markets. Yep. And so what she tapped into here in Miami is actually really relevant in New York, Austin, Philadelphia, LA, yeah. all places she's been in the last six months. Yeah. And folks said, oh man, you're totally right. You identified it in South Florida, it scaled in South Florida, and now we're kind of taking it national. Yeah, love it, love it. Are there any last things you want to share about Miami that people should know about before we go into the lightning round? Yeah, so next time you come into Miami, drop us a line. You okay. can go to kf.org and find us all there. Happy to give you kind of the behind the scenes, off the beaten path tour of what's actually happening here. Again, there's some really deep, awesome stuff happening around venture, around entrepreneurship, around startups that folks normally wouldn't associate with Miami. So between kind of the beach and the mojitos, mm-hmm. drop us a line <laughs> and we want to show you what's happening here. Yeah, he's definitely about that life. Like he said he was going to show us and he's showing us. So thank, <laughs> you, thank you. He's looking out for us. So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where we'll ask you several questions, but 
our listeners are folks who are going to be breaking into these startups or starting companies of their own. So we want to get your advice since you've been on the ground, you've been in the trenches, what resources, strategies you've used to get to where you are today. So Arthur, with that said, take it away. Yeah. So this question takes us back to the basics. And we talk a lot about, we talked about immigrants starting over. So if you just moved to some, uh, sorry, if you just moved to Miami and you only had a hundred dollars and you were starting from scratch again, what would you do? And how would you spend that a hundred dollars to get in your feet and break into tech? I would invest in uh, in getting some some lift rides over to Venture Cafe, uh-huh. uh, Miami. They get together on Thursdays for the Thursday convenings at CIC, and I would basically spend all hundred dollars just driving to Venture Cafe because they get together four hundred folks, and so in a really efficient way, I can meet a lot of the players down down I here. I like nice. that. I like awesome. that. Good advice. Art Basel, my has happens in Miami. So, question I have is like, how would you describe your relationship with art? And is there any tie to the Miami tech ecosystem in that regard? I'm a frustrated appreciator of, of the arts. <laughs> no, so Basel has turned into this, this incredible thing where Basel kind of just was here for a while and then it left. And now it, like now there's cultural depth to, to Miami mm-hmm. that wasn't here 15 years ago. And Basel was a huge cornerstone of that. I'll tell you, I think the traffic around Basel is a little bit of a <laughs> Not, cluster. <yeah. laughs> a little nuts. But listen, like we're good. We're good with it because it brings so many cool people to discover what we get to enjoy Miami all the time. Yeah. So yeah, if you ever want to get away from wherever you're at in December, yeah. Miami's a pretty cool place to be. And around the first week of, of December, we've got amazing art that comes to town. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people in tech talk about culture all the time. So there's cultural depth here. It's not just culture. So that's yeah. good. And I know I'm asking back to back questions, but press covers a lot of different things. I know they covered things related to crypto here. Can you like talk about the things that were accurate when people talked about the crypto space here in Miami and the things that were inaccurate that you would like to like dispel or like clarify, things like that. Right. So I think we can be better storytellers about what's happening here for sure. There was a conference around some sort of crypto something a few months ago and the conference ended up at a at a party that wasn't perhaps the most reputable place. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, the kind of the rest of the country thought we were the kind of the, the butt of the joke and said, oh, that's so Miami. Of course, Miami would have a crypto conference that ends up at a not so reputable place. Yeah. And the truth is like, <laughs> all right, like maybe we, we deserve that for, for that moment. But there's so much more here. Right. Yeah. And so we, those stories, right, like the stories of the Nearpod, the stories of Melissa Krinsman, the stories of Lab Miami, the stories of Miami Angels, um, those aren't getting the coverage necessarily. You mm-hmm. kind of have to come visit for a while or be here for a bit, a couple mm-hmm. weeks just to kind of get a sense of it. So what's true is that, yeah, Miami is a good place for conferences of all colors and mm-hmm. will continue to be so. We're very good at, again, moving people. That's going to happen. Uh, what's also true, equally true, is that Miami is a great place to kind of build ideas. Yep. Yeah, that's very cool. So for this question, I actually want to ask you some personal strategies and advice that you've used. So you mentioned that you were a CPA, right? And then you transitioned into this world of like angel investing, working with the Knight Foundation. Can you share some of your personal like struggles and how were you able to bridge and cross into this world from being a CPA? Yeah, totally different world, to be very honest. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm a recovering kind of slash frustrated CPA in many ways because in that world, and especially kind of when you're, when you're going through your accounting and finance kind of programs, there's always a right answer, right? Mm-hmm. There's always an answer. Yeah. It will discount a cash flow and it will give you the right answer or the, a singular answer every single moment. Accounting, either your books balance or they don't, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is what it is. And in this world, like, not that many folks ever built a venture ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? And even in angel investing, you're going to lose about 70% of your investments kind of off the bat. You got to be cool with that. So there's a lot of room for error. 
And so it was a very big kind of gulf. I'll tell you the biggest challenge, the personal challenge was kind of just a, a crisis of confidence and capacity. Like, am I even good enough for this? Mm-hmm. A lot of imposter syndrome kind yeah. of has been overcome in the last 10 years around, oh my God, like at some point they're going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing at all, mm-hmm. that I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants, making stuff as I go along. And at some point it kind of clicked. I was like, all right, like I'm falling into my own. I'm getting into, into the stride where I'm surrounding myself by good people, right? So good people are advising me and counseling me on some things. And I learned a lot, man. I made a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. I continue to make a ton of mistakes. Mm-hmm. But those mistakes have been as informative and as helpful as some of the wins that I've had in just helping me better understand kind of where I'm going. And so again, I still have, I have no idea where I'll be in a year. Yeah. I'm nor where this kind of whole endeavor is going here in, in Miami through night. But the biggest kind of overcoming of anything was that self-doubt, yeah. that imposter syndrome. Once I got over that, mostly got over it, I still have some good remnants. Once I kind of was able to kind of overcome that, then the world looked like a very, very different place. It didn't look as uncertain. It looked a lot more hopeful and like a canvas that was mine for the taking. And that happened slowly. That happened slowly as I kind of transitioned from that accounting CPA world into the angel investing world. Do you remember what you're... So I agree that there's a lot of uncertainty in this world. And sometimes you almost have to get comfortable, like making sense when you're surrounded by chaos. Do you remember what your first kind of break was? Like what was that first job or your first connection that kind of made all the difference for you? Yeah. So I I leave Ernst & Young and I go head up a nonprofit called Roots of Hope. And we were Mm -hmm. focused on building and supporting entrepreneurs and techies in Cuba. So nonpartisan, nonpolitical work amongst young Cubans because we felt that that was our best contribution for helping that young voice in Cuba kind of define their future. And that, man, that's where I probably made the most mistakes. And I learned a lot there. That probably was that breakout role because it put me in a position of leadership Mm -hmm. where I had to build community, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. And it was also dealing with a very emotional polemic issue. Like Miami and Cuba are two things that go hand in hand perfectly well, but at other times, really strongly driven emotions. This morning, my Lyft driver and I got into a nice 45-minute heated, spirited debate around Cuba, which is amazing. I love to have those conversations because that's kind of the the soul of Miami, right? But no, that role was probably the one where where I had to cut my teeth in a really polemic space where people were looking at me. I was raising money, so I had to become all of a sudden a a business development Mm -hmm. salesperson as well. I had to become a, a more effective communicator. I was doing a lot of press for them as well. And then I had to manage and build community. So there was a lot of demands for someone in, in their early 20s that pushed me to kind of my comfort zones and beyond. And then that set me up, I think, for, for a lot of success in the angel group. It hopefully set me up for some successes here at, at night. But that pushed me, man. I think that was the biggest thing that I'm now in a position where when I get bored and I get bored really easily, my way of coping with that is to make myself uncomfortable. Whereas before, mm-hmm. if I was uncomfortable, I'd kind of say, oh, no, let me go back to my comfort zone. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, man, I need more uncomfortable moments in my yeah. life because yeah. the less comfort I have, the more I'm growing. Yep. Yeah. Facts. I love that. I love that. Last, I don't know if Arthur has another question, but last, last question comes from Free Intelligent Conversations before we close out is um, what part of your life are you most proud of? Like, are you like my 10 month old son and, and my wife? They're amazing incredible to say that you made a human being it's like odd it's amazing um, someone that wasn't here before and now is yeah and then slowly seeing him come alive to the world he just figured out how to point um, and so like now he wants me he points to it and like hold him no. what <laughs> so yeah no seeing him yeah. kind of come alive to the world is incredible yeah. that's awesome yeah. all right cool what's the best way for people to keep in touch with you on twitter yeah i'm on twitter at r moas r m o a s or you can find me at kf.org all my contacts are there awesome looking awesome. forward to the rest of the evening thanks for having us here and 
Timor's gonna show us the bachata moves that he's been practicing in San Francisco. Have a good time, guys. Yeah, thanks, man. thanks yeah. a lot, man. Nice having you. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.